This episode of Theodora Speaks is presented by the Security Industry Association's Women in Security Forum. Welcome to Theodora Speaks, and thank you for tuning in today. Today's episode is a dynamic one, and it centers around how to fearlessly set boundaries. And especially as we need to set boundaries in our own lives in the world we live in today, where multitasking isn't a skill, it's a must. It's a craft that we have to just automatically have. And we've worked from home during the global pandemic. And coming out of this pandemic, what do we want our lives to look like? And what do we want to prioritize? And so setting boundaries, saying no to things is not only essential, but it's okay to do. And we have to give ourselves the permission to say no. My guest, Cindy Ashton, had less than a 20% survival rate when she was born and defied the odds stacked against her. She's had 25 years as a performing artist working with Broadway directors, Emmy winners. She's an author of Liberate Your Voice, How to Trust Your Power in a World that Shuts You Down. And this book is essential because it shuts down any doubt we have in ourselves. And we all have it. I have it in myself. How do you tune that out and focus on the positives? This book is a must read. She's also won awards from President Obama and Queen Elizabeth for her volunteer work. And she's appeared in multiple media, including ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox and Forbes. Listen for when Cindy defines positioning over posturing and the importance of developing your craft that aligns to your truth. There's 7.87 billion people in this world. And just like snowflakes and oyster shells, we are unique and we have to stand in our own strengths, our own powers, be unique and be respected. If you're struggling with indecision in your career, I invite you to visit gailkeller.org for more information. Taking calculated risks isn't easy, and I can help ease the angst about taking your professional leap of faith, where I offer one-on-one advisory coaching, an online course on how to help you take calculated risks in your career, to group mastermind sessions. I'm here to empower women in STEAM and give them a voice. The Security Industry Association's Women in Security Forum is a group for both women and men that offers programs such as personal and professional development opportunities, networking events, with the common goal of supporting the involvement of women in the security industry. Recently, my colleague Susan K. Younger and I had the pleasure of speaking at their participation at ISC West in Las Vegas. The SIA Women in Security Forum is a true delight. They're charismatic, friendly, nurturing, respectful. They give back to their communities. They're intelligent and innovative. Their mission is to engage all security professionals to promote, recruit, and cultivate the leadership of women for a greater inclusive and diversified industry. For more information, visit securityindustry.org. Cindy, the topic I'd love to discuss with you today is fearless reinvention while framing your boundaries. When you were born, you were given less than a 20% survival rate. And look at you now. You migrated to the U.S. during the economic crash of 2008. You're an author, award-winning TV host, an opera singer, singing your heart out in Times Square with a damaged lung. Wow. 
Talk about perseverance, drive, grit, and a will to live. Welcome, Cindy, and thank you for being here today. Gail, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to dive into today's topic. We're going to have so much fun. In life, what keeps you motivated? When I was, there's a lot of things that keep me motivated, but the thing that keeps me motivated on my darkest days is something that happened when I was 13, 14 years old. I was in the hospital when I was 13 for my third heart surgery. And I was roomed with this wonderful woman named Stephanie and she was 16 years old and we had bonded immediately. We had both been born, you know, ready to die. We were both born with a fatal, you know, prognosis. We both had had heart failure at birth. We both had had multiple heart surgeries and we both were told that we wouldn't make it past our teens. And so we bonded like, like crazy. And we made a pact that we were going to go on and live our dreams. And I was going to go on and to sing and dance and act. And, and at the time I didn't know, but go on to also help people to speak from their power. And she really wanted to go and be the greatest heart surgeon in the world. And so at 13, I got released from the hospital and I was readmitted when I was 14 years old. And I was super excited because I'm like, Hey, where's Stephanie? Maybe not that perky given how sick I was, um, at the time, but I was like, where's Stephanie? Where's Stephanie? You know, we, you know, when you grow up quote unquote disabled and with a prognosis that you're not going to live past your teens, it's very hard to relate to other people. So to have somebody that I was bonded to that I could actually relate to that was like me was pretty amazing. We all wanna see, feel, um, feel seen and heard. And unfortunately she had passed during those six months that I was away. And I just, in that moment, two things happened. It was first the sheer guilt and the shame of why does she live? Why, why am I alive and why did she go? But, it was that other piece of me that said, as long as I still have a breath left in my body, I better not damn well stop. So even when I have my worst days, and even now I get shivers thinking about it, but on my worst days, I think of Stephanie and, and, and think about how I'm not going to give up. I'm just going to give myself that break to honor my feelings and honor what I'm going through, but I'm not going to give up because I'm living my dream, but I'm living my dreams for her as well. Um, and my greatest wish that has not come happened yet is that I wish I could find her parents to tell them how her legacy has lived on on me and the impact that I've made in the world and how she's been a part of that. And I've gone to the hospital sick children so many times and said, can you look in the hospital records? And they're like, we can't figure out, we, we don't have room records of who is, who is in what room. And I was like, so I don't know. Some, the, a miracle will happen one day that I'll find this, this person's family. I don't know. Oh, I hope so. Don't give up that search. What a beautiful story. So take me back to when you're a teenager and you're told you're going to die. How did that feel? Um, but I was born with a 20% chance of living. So throughout my childhood, I never really felt like I never really got the message that I was going to live past my teens. I mean, the doctor said at birth to my parents who then related to me that, well, we managed to save her life, but she's not going to make it past her teens. So whether the doctors have said that to me directly or not, I don't actually remember because there was so much trauma going on and I was so sick. You know, it's so interesting because I think about missing one third of my education because I was so sick and in and out of school and, and out of hospitals and nobody bothered to get me tutors or educate me. I, I guess they figured I was going to die. So why bother? I don't know. Um, but I don't remember a lot from my childhood because I just wasn't even functioning. Um, yeah. So, so 
Yeah, I don't. So in terms of that feeling, it's, it's been an interesting journey because when you're born with a 20% chance of living, it's a fighter, it's a fight or flight. And I chose clearly chose to fight because I'm still here. And the ongoing joke with my friends is that I have more than nine lives. <laughs> I've got, I've, I've outlived cats at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it's desperate. And I spent a lot of my years desperately pushing, trying, forcing. And I had to, because I had to pass all the boundaries that were given to me. But over time, that pushing and that hustle and what it took for me to overcome that and get past my prognosis and be the success I am today was something that was, I realized it ended up harming my body. I'm a chronically ill person that lives with four different incurable diseases that I manage on a daily basis. And here I am pushing my body beyond belief because I'm trying to survive. And so by the time I got into my thirties, I was starting to realize that. And I have been undoing now it's like, I don't push at all. I'm like, Oh, I'm tired today. I guess today's a sleep day. I'm going to reschedule like, you know, um, or if there's something really important, but I've also learned how to manage chronic illness. Cause at the time there was no playbook and there still really isn't a very good playbook out there on this topic. Sure. Sure. And when people are asked, what's your biggest fear in life, people will say dying. And I feel like <laughs> I came back. I still remember one of the surgeries. I was literally like floating over my body. And I still remember the exact green of the tiles and the doctors. And I don't remember my blood and guts, but I still remember that. And I still remember being in the light and it was, it was pure weightlessness, pure love, pure light. And I just remember looking up and down and then the next thing. And then I just remember throughout my childhood, having the recurring memory of going to the other side. And I really struggled in childhood for multiple reasons, but once you've gone to the other side, you're like, what the bleep am I doing here? This is a shitty place to live on the planet. Like, what am I doing here? And it was really, it was a real torment for me. But on top of that, I started seeing translucent figures because I guess because I had gone to the other side, I guess I got psychic ability or the ability to talk to the dead people. But when you're a child and you're a teenager, you don't realize what these translucent figures are and people think you're a freaking nut bar. And eventually I went to see a psychiatrist and thankfully he realized I wasn't mentally ill. And he says, you just have the ability to talk to dead people. Like you're a medium. And I said, I'm a what? I'm like, and I'm like, and I was so grateful because anybody else, any other medical doctor that's like a psychiatrist would have thought that I, that I was mentally ill, but he was very spiritual. And he started telling, he started teaching me the difference between earthbound spirits and spirit guides and angels. And I'm sitting there going, is this this medical doctor? I'm like, what is going on? And so he was the one that taught me because I had so much darkness throughout my childhood. I would be having all the tormented souls. I mean, it was terrifying. And he was the one that really helped me to learn how to deal with that. And um, yeah, and for the most part, I shut it down because, you know, seeing dead people everywhere you go just isn't cool. Um. <laughs> no, but it's it's a gift, you know, it, it, if you believe yeah. in it, right? <laughs> You're telling us all these amazing things and I'm dying to know what your biggest fear is and how you face that fear. The biggest fear for me is, and it used to be because I'm not there anymore, but the biggest thing that I struggled with my entire life was the worthiness issue because of not being seen and heard. If I was in a wheelchair, I would have gotten the help I needed because you visibly see it. 
So for me, the greatest fear is not being seen and heard because then I don't feel like I'm worthy and that I deserve to be here. Um, so that's been something I've battled my whole life. And hence why I have a business that's around speaking from your power and helping people to be seen and heard because I've had to, I've literally, I've literally dedicated my entire life to learning the art, the craft and the science of everything to do with speaking and persuasion and influence, because I was the person that would advocate for myself and people go, oh, but you look fine. Don't be such a drama queen. And I never, I still remember I applied for university and my grades were not the 75% average, which was what I needed for the university I wanted to go into. And I still remember I applied under a disabled person because I had missed one third of my education. Of course, I didn't have a 75% average. And I got a letter back saying, you're not disabled. And I was like, I just wrote a five page essay on all, all my hospitalizations. And like, I don't understand how, you know, and that's just one or the times I would go and sing opera arias and I would sing in competitions. And I would always, I could never get first or second place. And I, the criticism was always, well, you don't have enough breath support. And little did they know I have scarring on my chest. I have scarring on my back. I have a damaged lung and I'm effing singing in a freaking 10 page opera aria in Italian or Russian or some other of the six or seven languages. And I was being judged the exact same as everybody else. And I thought if I was in a freaking wheelchair, they would have given me first place, but oh my God, the girl in a wheelchair, you know, is, and it's like, are you kidding me? I'm trying to breathe through wires. I literally have wires back in the day when they do open heart surgery, they don't do this anymore. They literally put, I, if you see an x-ray, you see wires pulling, like my ribs literally have wires all the way down pull it, keeping them together. And here I am having to sing opera arias. And I remember auditioning, like I did get work as an opera singer. I used to sing for the Downsview Symphony as a soloist, but I could never get to the big leagues. Canadian Opera Company auditioned for three times. And I'm like, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It, it, it's just, you know, so it's been a really, so in terms of the biggest fear is my biggest trigger is not being seen and heard. And I have had to spend a lifetime of undoing that and knowing how to hold my power mm -hmm. and get what I want without coming across as begging, without over explaining, without, you know, um, it's so it's been a fascinating journey, but this is why I do what I do. Going back to your worthiness and you proving people wrong. Did I read that your high school teacher kicked you out of choir and said you couldn't sing? Uh-huh. Well, look at you now. <laughs> if they could see me now, that little, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing. And then your worthiness and be seen. So if there were a public service announcement in your honor, this is what it would read, Cindy. Cindy Ashton is a force not to be reckoned with. Her success as a singer, actor, TV show host, and performance coach for women in business has triumphed over periods in her life of just surviving. Cindy's unrelenting resilience and powerful passion to change lives and the world is what brings her to us today. She is definitely a woman of courage, change, reinvention, and emulates the attributes of Theodora's who speak. And that's PSA was by our mutual friend, created by Cindy Shostek. And Cindy is a, she wrote that. Yeah. I love her so much. Isn't that beautiful? I asked her, could you just send me a few words on how you would describe Cindy, you know? And she came back with this beautiful PSA. Don't make me cry. Oh, please do. I mean, it's beautiful. <laughs> Gail, you're just another Oprah. 
Yeah. And you and I know Cindy, she introduced us, but she's a ghost writer. She's also a coach and author and she's helping ghost write my book. So So. you're, you're, you're a force. (laughs) Everything you've accomplished and everything you're doing with your business now is just so beautiful. If we were to reflect and all the things that you told us and how you overcame fear, how would you describe what makes you fearless? My ability to go within and face my shit. So it, and it's, it's really about facing yourself. And the first thing you're going to do when you face yourself is all the guilt's going to come up, all the shame's going to come up and you have to find a place to, you know, love your little girl, love your little boy within you and recognize you're just on a journey. There is no right and wrong. You're just on a journey, but also ask yourself the questions. Why would I allow somebody to treat me like this? Why would I make that choice and betray my gut feeling? Why would I? And it's not about blaming yourself but it's about getting deeper. Um, And so for me, it really is about facing myself when something goes sideways and asking myself, I wonder what's, what can I learn about myself? How much more can I heal? How much deeper can I go? Where else can I, how, how can I show up in the future? And it's just, I mean, I meditate every single day. I journal every day. I mean, it's a job, but it's, I look at the person before, and I'm so proud of her because she had nothing to start with and she, where I am now, but it's taken, it, it takes it and it continues to say, I wonder what the heck's going on. And I'm going to be willing to look at it and willing to deal with anything that comes up, but it's hard. It's harder to face yourself than it is to blame other people. It is because you have to look inside and want to change, right? Want to be better. And I think as a society, we're still missing that as a whole. We love to point the finger, but never look into ourselves and how we can uh, educate ourselves and and be better the next time. Well, and you know, Gail, my biggest, I mean, because you read my book and I so, I'm so honored. Thank you. But my biggest thing is that I'm so tired of that. Your thoughts create reality. Positive thinking will, will solve it all. That's full of crap. Tell that to a mentally ill person. Tell that to somebody who's in an abusive relationship. We need to start having the conversation about if something isn't working in your life, what traumas have you been through? No judgment, but what traumas, we all have been through trauma of some sort or another, whether it's falling down the stairs all the way to being abused in some way, all the way to being shot at, which I nearly was. That's a whole other story. Um, (laughs) I have so many crazy stories. (laughs) I think I'm going to write a whole book with a comedic spin on the crazy things that I, like I once had four, I was once traveling and had four machine guns pointed at me. And I'm like, well, Cindy Ashton, how are you going to get out of this one? (laughs) I did, but you know, it's, um, I probably won't travel to certain places in the world as a female alone. Unfortunately, women are not as free as we'd like them to be. Um, that probably wasn't, I'm more daring than I need to be, but it's really my greatest, my greatest wish for everybody is that they're willing to face themselves and, 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 and with love and compassion, because if we were all doing the work, imagine what the world would be, mm-hmm. but instead we have assholes creating war in the world. Instead, we have other people abusing other people instead, you know. Right, right. But if we all did the real inner work and not just go, I'm going to be happy because I have to change my thoughts, it, it would make it would make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. So you liberated your voice, which is the title of your book. And before we dive into that, you denote yourself as the top 1% in your field of speaking, training and performing. How did you get there, Cindy? So your government, the U.S. government, 
um, did that. It wasn't me. So this is the really weird thing. So here's one day I'm going to write a book why the why 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 the American dream is actually a nightmare <laughs> because the immigration process and I'm talking as a legal you know green card holder is a night it's a nightmare. So when I was trying to immigrate here. Um, there really was no options. I wasn't getting married. I wasn't being hired by somebody. You know, I wasn't. So I ended up doing an investor's visa, which cost me my house and I don't regret it. Only I didn't realize, except for the day that I had, I literally had to, an investor visa, you have to like invest $100,000 in the country before you even get your visa in hopes that they will let you get a visa after that. And then it's 500 pages of paperwork and all kinds of paperwork. So the day that I was literally after I sold my house and transferred $100,000 to this country was the day of the big economic crash in 2008. And I had all these, it was crazy. So I, this, so as, so I finally got here, my paperwork was approved and, um, but I literally got here with no prospects, didn't know anybody, had no money left because I just spent all this money. I had just given up my 12 year career. I had given up everything in Canada. And so I was like, there's got to be a different way because also your government is in the old, you know, is in the ice age or something that they required me to have an office that houses three people. So I'm paying $1,500 a month for an office. I'm doing all the stuff that I don't actually need. I'm a performer. I'm a speaker. I don't need this shit. So, I mean, when I tell people I spent $160,000 on immigration over eight years by the time I got my green card, if I broke it down, people are like, they're gobsmacked. It's so disturbing. If I had a family, I couldn't have done it. It was insane. It was so stressful. So as I kept researching, the only thing I saw that was, you know, when I, in my research is that I could apply as a person of extraordinary ability. And I was like, but you have to be, to do that, you have to prove that you're in the top one percentile in three out of 10 of their categories. And I thought I'm not in the top. And I mean, the top one percentile beating out over 300 million Americans is really hard to do. So when people say, oh, I'm an expert, I'm like, why don't you go through the vetting I went through to get my damn green card? Um, that and the malaria test. I'm like, malaria, you know, I'm Canadian and I've already lived in your country for seven years. And now you're worried about malaria. Anyways, that's a comedy routine. I got to do like a comedy routine on US immigration because it's a nightmare. Um, but so when I first looked at it, I thought there, how would I ever be in the top one percentile? Like there's no way, but I said, Cindy, what, but there was 1% and this is a lesson for everybody listening. All you need is 1% belief to start. So 1% of me thought, well, what are the categories? I wonder if it is possible. And I, and I was like, yeah, right. And I was like, well, what are the categories? So I slowly started chipping away at the categories and when I got, then I went through another round of immigration for God's sakes. And then I went through another round and I talked to my lawyer and she says, how are you doing with chipping away at those? And, and you have to understand that as I was, I was chipping away, I started to build confidence. I started that 1% belief turned into 5%. Then it turned into 10%. And then one day, and I was at about 70%, maybe, I don't even know, but I was definitely starting to believe that it might be possible. And I was like, God, I'm so scared. I think I need to do one more round of a visa. And my lawyer said, no, no. She says, I think we could submit you for not three, but seven of the 10 categories for one percentile. Amazing. I got my paperwork back a week and a half after submitting it saying, verifying that I am in the top one percentile in this country and what I do, beating 
over 300 million Americans. And not only did I did it, do it in three categories, I did it in seven of the 10. And I, and so hopefully when I have to go to renew in five years, I won't have any problems because now I've probably done all tall categories at this point. So when people go, oh, well, why do you charge so much? I'm like, I don't say anything because you never over explain. And, and the truth is, is that people see my value. I don't normally get that anyways, but I sometimes feel like, I feel like having a bit of an ego about it sometimes. It's like, why don't you try to do this? <laughs> or the people are like, well, I'm a sought after. And I'm like, you're not sought after. I just looked you up on the internet. There's nothing about you. You're not sought after. You can't say that. Like everybody's an expert. And I'm like, I really am an expert. <laughs> I love it. I love so it. It's crazy. I actually think that the government has a lot of issues, but the way that it's scientifically done. It's scientifically measured in all these 10 categories. And I'm like, they should totally people there should they should actually use this system to truly measure how much of an expert somebody really is. It's really fascinating. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, it's yeah, really it's very to, interesting to knock the unqualified people off the stage. <laughs> but congratulations! And I think the takeaway here of that one percent is yes. as your confidence increased, so did your percent in your mind of winning, and you did win. And here's what's interesting, Gail, because you know what my turning point with the worthiness is, because I had been working on it my whole life. When I saw 500 pages of evidence, because I'm such an intellectual person, even though I'm an artist and I'm creative and intuitive, I'm very intellectual. Like people who are, who see me sing, dance and act and all that, if they actually try to do a strategy session with me for my speaking your power, they're like, oh, she's like, she's got the mind of a CEO. <laughs> like they don't realize it because I'm so fun and crazy. They don't realize that I'm an intellectual. Mm -hmm. and it's so interesting because intellectually seeing it and seeing the categories and seeing the way they measured it from a scientific perspective, that was the thing. I was like, geez, all these years of therapy, all these years of working with energy healers, all these years of doing all this shit to break through. And all I need to do is do scientifically look at what my credentials were. That's all I had to do. <laughs> so while we're talking percentages in regards to setting boundaries, Cindy, how do you view the balance scale? And when you're looking at your boundaries and life, is the balance scale 50-50? Why or why not? At this point, oh yeah, I really hold my power at this point. It's, it's very, very rare for me to lose my power. And it's so interesting because somebody would have triggered me with something recently. And I'll give an example. Because I grew up in a hospital, didn't really have a lot of education, I was heavily triggered for years because people go, well, well, how do you not know that? And then at that time, back in the day, I'd overexplain or whatever. And then I got out of overexplaining, but then I would always walk away feeling really ashamed, right? So it's really interesting because somebody pulled that on me recently. And I'm like, well, how do you not know this? And I said, why don't you just tell me what it is or let's just move on? Like, I didn't even give him like the energy of it, but, it, but I was so happy because it didn't trigger me. And then another person recently kept interrupting. No, it's this way. And I said, we're going to stop right now. And I was so like, without, because again, this is something where I would over explain and a lot of women and men over explain when they have these, when they feel triggered. So I just breathed nice and deep into my body. And I'm like, we're going to stop right now. You have your point of view. I have mine. You don't have to agree with my point of view. If you feel like hearing my point of view, I invite you to stay. And if it resonates, great. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. Sound good? 
So there was no, there was no over the top pushing, which women tend to do. Women tend to over explain. Yeah, but my point of view is da, 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 da. It's like, no, 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 not that. So I really, it's very, it's like, if I fall off the boat, it's maybe by one or 2% here and there. I really don't anymore. I mean, I got stood up on a date the other day. Didn't even trigger me. I'm like sitting in the restaurant. I'm like, oh, I guess we're not the right fit. Thanks for saving me dinner. Great. I'm going to treat myself. And it was totally fine. And the old Cindy would have ruminated what's wrong with me. I'm not good enough, especially growing up with big scars. And my chest was protruded at the time because they had pulled out stuff. And, and I was so bullied and no boy ever wanted to ever be with me. And the first boy that loved me was the one that I married, even though we weren't the right fit together, although he's a beautiful human being. And we got divorced within six months. And that was my wake up call to look at my self-esteem. So again, like that would have been a huge trigger for me of not being good enough. And I'm like, oh, and I don't even know what happened. I don't care. It doesn't matter. But it was just so, it was so lovely to go, oh, okay, cool. And I ended up having a great dinner and, uh, you know, and I loved it and I was sitting and it was beautiful weather here in New York. And so the weather is coming nicely, nicely along here in the winter. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to sit outside. I'm going to enjoy with dinner. And so it was great, but, and it wasn't this fake happy thing, but I've really come to the point where I am so grounded in who I am that if I fall off the wagon, it's so very little. Well, I'm sorry you had to go through all of these experiences, but I also oh. thank you <laughs> for putting a voice to them and entitling your book, Liberate Your Voice. There's a chapter, Cindy, in there and it says, kiss your monsters. Hello. People would read that and go, ah, I don't want to look at my monsters. So, yeah. so tell us a little bit about that. Kissing your monsters. Hello. So we tend to run from fear. You know, people say, oh, I'm going to crush that fear. I'm going to overcome it. But sometimes fear is our friend. Fear doesn't always mean that I'm afraid and I have to push through because maybe fear is your intuition saying run, run for the hills. So when I talk about kissing your monsters, hello, it's like, okay, a fear is here. Cool. So let's investigate this. Let's get, let's breathe, let's ground. And let's just take this in and just start to, you know, one of the ex exercises I put in the book is start to just write out, you know, I'm afraid because, and just write it all out and start to notice, are there any assumptions you're making? Is that why you have that fear coming up? Is it past patterns? Something that happened in the, in the past is making you nervous. Is it, you know, you know, just looking at those different, are, like, what is that fear? And then once you've decoded that, say, what is this really about? Because our fears are talking to us. I think they're fantastic. Our fears gives us information. So why would we try to crush them? So when you do that, first of all, intellectually, you're getting rid of all the stuff that's not true. Um, the second thing you're doing is you're saying, what's the real issue? So whenever people are like, oh my God, I got to make more money. And yes, some people are starving. They need to make more money. Absolutely. But what is, what is that real fear? I mean, I know people with millions of dollars in the bank and they're profitable because sometimes there's millionaires who are not profitable and they've got tons of investments and they're still terrified of money. It has, and they're like, I got to make more money. And I'm like, that has nothing to do with money. What is that deeper thing? Because then you're going to find a way to lose that money because you've got, you know, all this stuff, but you know, it's about starting to, what is the underlying current? And then it's also about checking into your intuition. Is this giving me a no? Is this not the right path? Is there a path that is lighter, freer? So I love going, oh, there's a, there's a fear. I wonder what that's about. I'm curious. The biggest message that I wish people would take on is stay curious. So the biggest behavior, stay curious. Mm -hmm. Even when I got stood up the other day, I'm like, huh, 
I'm curious. I wonder what happened to him. It might have had everything to do with me. It might have not. And interestingly enough, he texted me this morning that his phone had died. He lost his calendar and everything, whatever. So it's fine. But I thought that was really interesting. And again, and I, I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, and it wasn't about me. No. And then he and sent a whole bunch of kisses with this little message. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. It wasn't about me. All right. And maybe you give him another chance and maybe you don't. Maybe I don't. I don't know. I'll have to see how the energy feels because you're still we'll see because that might have also been a sign that he's not he's not the right fit. So I'm not making decisions because in my past I would push to make a decision because I'm terrified and I, you know, of, of not living. Whereas now I'm like, I don't need to make a decision until it reveals itself to me. And a lot of people make poor choices. And I, I'm not going to say poor choices. A lot of people, and this is me definitely in the past, make choices because we have not cleared our stuff around our fears. And when we do that, then it ends up creating more chaos. So I've learned that very, very hard in the very hardest way possible. So I just am like, you know, it's uncomfortable to stay curious, but when you start to master it, it's like, okay, let's see. Cause then you don't go into that desperation or then you don't push to make a decision when you don't have enough Intel, just sit with it and just wait. But it's hard. I think it's hard for humans to want to, we, we don't like being uncomfortable but shift it to be curious. Yeah. If you wade in the uncomfortable long enough, it will become comfortable. And Cindy, there's another chapter in your book, take back your priorities. And you yeah. you talk about the value of saying no. Yeah. Everyone's like, say yes. I'm like, why? <laughs> <laughs> saying no is also saying yes to the universe. Right. Um, so there's an exercise, as you said, that I do around taking your power back around priorities. So Go through your life areas of what is really that number one priority and start to go through and score them, you know, one to 10, how much am I rocking it? How much aren't I? And again, not from judgment, just score it one to 10. And then just look at the priorities and ask yourself, what is the most important thing? So if you are completely struggling financially, for example, your priority is going to have to be getting yourself financially stable because that's a you being able to live and eat and pay your bills is your core thing. Um, you know, as you know, and as the viewers know, or the uh, listeners know at this point, I have several careers. So right now my business is exploding and my performing career was exploding in the fall. And I've had to, and I'm like, I have to make a choice. And as much as I love performing, the pay is like one tenth of what I make in my business and what, you know, and, and that's fine. But I mean, I performed as a, as the, you know, the opening performer for Times Square Fashion Week in front of 8,000 people in the media and everything. And that was in September. And I'm going to tell you that it was one twentieth of what I normally get to stand on a stage and speak. Really? Because I watched that video and you oh, had cool. energy. Yeah. But right. So if I can't even get a nice big paycheck for Times Square, like that's just the acting industry, you know, unless you're really a big A-lister. I mean, even if you get like, for example, I auditioned for a movie a few months ago and it was in the running between me and this other person. And it's a movie that's going to be on Prime. So it's not a small thing. It's a mini series. It's going to be on Prime. The pay was 150 a day. So by the time I read the entire script, and analyze my part and analyze everything and then memorize it and then spend a whole day on, on set, I'm making less than minimum wage. 
Um, you know, and some of the bigger projects are $1,500 a day, but again, it's not a ton of money when my clients pay me $2,000 an hour. So when I talk about priorities right now, my business is exploding and I'm so unbelievably blessed and grateful. So I'm like, right, this is a great opportunity for me to just stop auditioning for a bit. And I'm not letting go of my performing career, but right now my business needs attention because if I don't put systems in place and hire a team, my clients are not going to get served. And that's the most important thing is my clients take priority. My job is to help them get their voices out. And that's my mission to help them. So right now that's my priority. So knowing that when an opportunity, like I have a movie thing that came up, I might for three scenes in a movie and it's full length and whatever, and it's going to be on Hulu. And I, I said, I need to see the contract and I really would love to do it because the truth is, is I'm mostly a stage actor and breaking into film would be a great opportunity for me. But right now it's about getting the business set so that I can continue to serve my clients and have a team so that I can have time to do this stuff. So when I see the contract in the next week, I might have to turn it down because it's not my, my priority right now. Do you see how this all works? I yeah. do. Yeah. The priority. Otherwise, right. 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 Because people are like, are you crazy? You've been wanting to break into the film world. You've been training for it. Cause you know, film acting is different than, and I'm like, I know, but I don't have scarcity thinking there'll be another opportunity. Or if I don't like the contract and I ask them to do some stuff to alter from my schedule and they can't, they might do it. I don't know if they like me enough. I don't know, but we live in scarcity that we try to do all these priorities. How many times have people go, Oh my God, there's this really great opportunity, but is it really the timing for that opportunity? Because I'm going to tell you the opportunity is going to come again. If something, let me back that up. If something is meant for you, nothing can stop it. If something is meant for you, nothing can stop it. When I was 19 years old, I earned an apprenticeship working with Live Into Canada up in Toronto, where they were bringing pre-Broadway shows up to Canada and they were workshopping them. And I was one of the eight people chosen to be an apprentice. I was literally working aside you know, Tony award-winning producers and directors and whatever. And at the end of the summer, they said, Cindy, we want to hear you sing. You've been working so hard for us behind the scenes, you know, as the assistant musical director, whatever. And I sang, I think, don't cry for me, Argentina. And they said, we could put you as chorus in any of our Broadway shows right now, which by the way, would have gotten my visa without spending $160,000. Um, but I chose to go to university at the time and I was devastated because I felt pressured by my parents to get a real job. And then when I was 20 years old, my dad was a limo driver and the president of Sony was in his car. And he's, and my dad's like, oh, you should hear my daughter sing. And at the time I wasn't super trained. I had some training, but I wasn't full on Broadway opera yet. And I was singing a lot of Celine Dion stuff and I was belting out the power of love, right? And and uh, the guy's like, wow, your daughter's how old? She's only 20. That's a great Asia star. I want to see her. I want her in my office. I want to see her look. I want to see her music. And I never made that call. And I have a million examples of this, of, you know, and it was so interesting because I had totally lost my way in the last few years and stopped performing, which is equally important to my speak from your power work. And I made the decision to go back into my performing career in 2019 and then 2020 happened. And, but during 2020, I spent that time without being on the road all the time speaking to really recreate my performing career. And the first gig I got was the opening performer for Times Square Fashion Week. It doesn't really get much bigger than that, right? And then I got invited to the Oscars, which I can't go to because I just broke my foot and can't really walk in. But you know, what I'm saying is, is that it has always been meant for me as a performer. And that's why the minute that I decide that film acting, that I have the time and the space for it, it'll happen. So for everybody listening and priorities, 
We need to get out of the scarcity. If something is truly meant for you, get back in your magic, take care of what you need to right now with a plan to get back to the other pieces that you want to do. Avoid the shiny objects. Mm-hmm. Great advice. And so if there's listeners today listening and they may want to reinvent their career, but they're afraid yeah, <laughs> to reprioritize, right? You also wrote something and even had a video clip about positioning versus posturing. Oh God. So explain to our listeners what you <laughs> meant. Yeah. Um, essentially in, in one line, do the work. And so, and a more bigger explanation is I see people, I was dating this guy a few years ago and he's like, oh my God, I just got pictured with Martha, Martha Stewart. I'm like, that's awesome. He says, yeah, it only cost me $2,000. And I said, why would you, why would you spend $2,000? Like, like to be pictured with a celebrity. And he's like, because it gives me credibility. I'm like, no, it doesn't. It just means like, if you don't have a consistent, like, and then I meet other people who are like, oh, well, I paid to do this. Or I, you know, I know this guy, he literally, I'm not going to say his name. Some people might know, know who he is, but for $10,000, he can get you being interviewed by John Travolta or, or one of these other A-listers. And then you have a video. And I'm like, again, if you don't have the goods, that fake stuff is not, that is posturing. Positioning is developing your craft, doing the right steps, doing what I did for years and building up my categories. I am not the person I am today. Um, you know, tw- like I was 25 years ago. If you would have told me 25 years ago that I'd have a word from the queen and the president, I'd be like, you're out of your mind. It didn't happen overnight. It's because I was consistently working on my craft. I was consistently out doing my stuff. And so if you are reinventing yourself, congratulations. And I want you to totally do it. The priority should be getting in message alignment. This is the biggest problem I see because when you are in alignment with your soul and the message you want to deliver to the world, and it's from your truth and not your trauma, because I see a lot of people go, I overcame this and I want to do this now, but they're coming from their trauma before they've cleared the trauma. So if you get yourself in alignment, the opportunities show up, the people show up, the pathway shows up. So when you re, and then as you're doing that, go step-by-step and you're going to have a lot of opportunity. Take the time to sit and breathe with the opportunities. I would love to do this movie. It might be a no, because that's not where my, you know, that's not where the opportunity is for me right now. Where are the opportunities showing themselves? But they'll show themselves when you get into message alignment. So thank you for that career reinvention advice, because I mean, I take some of that to heart too, especially with the positioning versus posturing and just knowing your sovereignty is so important. So as we wrap here, tell our listeners about trust your essence and explain what that means when you talk about that in your book. Yeah, we have all the knowledge within us. We were created from whatever you believe in religion, wise spiritually, we were created from something pretty freaking powerful. That's who you are. We are constantly bombarded with noise coming at us from the media, from fake news, from crazy political leaders, from our friends and our colleagues, and everybody is telling us stuff. We tend to take on that noise, and then we make decisions based on that noise versus going back to our truth. So when I talk about trusting your essence, whether it's meditating, I, you know, I also sing it out. 
I also dance it out. Find the vehicle for you to release the stress and release the noise from your body. Is it painting? Is it writing? Is it singing? Is it dancing? Is it meditating? Whatever that is, is it having an orgasm? Whatever that always works, by the way. Um, release that energy, unless you're with the wrong person. But, um, you know, find the thing that helps you get back to your greatest self, your greatest, because when you are, release all that stuff from your, from your essence, the essence of who you are, that energy of who you are, then you're able to go back in and you can feel your gut feelings, trust the gut feelings that are coming up. I thought you were going to go into song there and, and belt out Elsa's let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Don't hold it back anymore. <laughs> Here I am. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Got it. You nailed it. So in conclusion, Cindy, what yeah. is the one thing you want to leave the listeners with, with respect to setting boundaries in their lives. Don't overexplain. This is the biggest problem I see. So for example, a friend of mine had an offer and it was outrageously disgusting offer for, for a business contract. Like they so undervalued her and she's like, I'm insulted. Da, 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 da. I'm just going to tell them that. How do you not know who I am? And I'm like, that's over explaining and taking away your power. I said, your response is going to be, and I'm going to change what the response is slightly. Right. So the response is going to be this offer doesn't work for me, but thank you for the offer. Right. And so they got back to her and they said, oh, what happened? I don't understand. What do you mean this offer doesn't work for me? And I just, and then I gave her more languaging and she just responded, my rate is this plus this plus this. Let me know if that's amenable. There was no explanation. She doesn't have to tell somebody, right? You don't have to tell somebody your worth. You tell somebody that you're $10,000 per month plus whatever, whatever you need. They understand immediately. Mm -hmm. Does that help with boundaries? Stop yeah. over explaining. Right. Because men you don't, don't owe to... anybody anything. Right. We don't. We don't. No. no. And men don't over explain out there. And so that's, that's nope. a great tip for women. It's beautiful. Oh, I love teaching women and I work with men and women, but I love working with women because I'm like, let's get you to hold your power. Stop this over explaining nonsense. We're over it. Yes. And, and just like you, I also work with men along with women. Yeah. And it's when we uplift each other and we have that allyship and learn from each other that we can truly be inclusive and, and change for the better. A special thank you to Cindy Ashton for sharing her stories and her anecdotal stories with us today. It was just an enlightening and fun conversation. So I hope you all feel uplifted and lighthearted and uh, you're going to Amazon right now to buy her book. I also want to thank you, our valued listeners, for tuning in today. You've got a lot of podcasts to choose from and I'm grateful that you're here. Special shout out to New Voice Studios for producing today's podcast. The three key takeaways from today's conversation are, one, advocate for yourself. No one else is going to do it for you. Two, don't over-explain. Stand in your power, value, and sovereignty. And lastly, if something is meant to be, it will be. Nothing can stop it. Please visit gailkeller.org and sign up for my newsletters. I can help you with your career without the crash and burn of doing it alone. Thank you and stay courageous.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.